Let's pray. Oh, Lord, as that uh, song just played, would that be the, the one goal of our life, to live for your glory? Lord, we've got a new year out in front of us, and I would imagine for some of us there'll be some very exciting things, some real victories, some real accomplishments, some high times. But God, I also know the reality that for some, 09 is going to hold some things they never imagined. Things that will be very difficult, very challenging. Father, I pray we could live for one thing, and that is that you would be seen, you would be glorified. God, would you help us see that in that there is joy, there is peace, there is meaning and purpose. May we not live for our happiness, but for your glory. Because we can live for your glory no matter what 2009 brings. And no matter what it brings, if we're living for your glory, we can live in a way that counts and has eternal reward and benefits. God, would you mold our heart toward that end? Teach us and show us what that means. Guide us along the path that whatever this year brings, we walk through that in a way that you are honored, you are exalted, you are glorified, and the worth of the living God is seen. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. The Bible is very clear. It says to us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, that it has been appointed for people to die once and then face the judgment. We are going to die. Not most likely, not, not probably, not a pretty good chance. We very simply are going to die. We are going to stand before God. Most of us absolutely resist thinking about that. Other than being at a funeral or a rare contemplative moment, we are not going to think about death. And even worse, we're not going to think about standing before God. Folks, it's not very smart to ignore the single greatest reality that your life is moving towards. I want us to think for a moment right now. I want us to imagine that, that we've died and that we're standing before God. How do you want that to go? What, what do you want that to look like? Because folks, here's our challenge. Live with the end in mind. Live in a way that brings about the end that you want. Because you're not going to get there by accident. You're not going to get there by hoping. You're going to get there by making decisions and choices today. You know, folks, it's incredible. Very, very few people today around this world, maybe in this church, will make a single decision in light of dying. Will make a single decision in light of standing before God. That's insane. That's where your life is moving. So what do you want it to look like? And, and could I encourage you that as you imagine, you let the scriptures give some definition to that imagination? For instance, when you get to that moment when you stand before God, if you want to go to heaven and not hell, it's not your imagination that's going to produce that. The Scripture tells us how that happens. 
When you stand before God and you talk about your family, how's that going to go? No, I, you know, I, I feel pretty good. I, I, I like my family. I, I think we've got a pretty good family. Yeah, we have our ups and downs. I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with family. Well, folks, your satisfaction with family isn't the standard by which God judges. No, here again, we go to Scripture and I find out that there's a lot of commands in here that deal with me as a child, as a sibling, as a parent, as a mate. And this is the standard by which that conversation will unfold. What about when God talks about our finances? Boy, that's the big topic of 09, isn't it? The economy. How's the conversation going to go when God says, I want to talk to you about all the money and resources that I lent you? Oh, oh, oh wait, wait a minute, Lord. I, I didn't borrow anything from you. I borrowed from everybody else. But I didn't borrow anything from you. Oh, no. I own everything in your life. You were to manage it as I described. How's that conversation going to go? Folks, you can just walk through every area of your life. And as you stand there before God, what do you want that to look like? How do you want that conversation to go? We need to live with the end in mind. Now, we're taking on a challenge here at our church. It's a little bit unlike anything we've done. And here's our challenge. We are going to live like we were dying. What would you do if you just found out you had 30 days to live? What would be important to you? What would count? What would you need to fix? What would you need to correct? Who would you need to talk to? What would you need to say if you had 30 days to live? That's our challenge. And, and the reason I say this is a little bit unlike anything we've done in our church is because uh, unlike a sermon series, it just kind of stands alone. Folks, everything we're doing in our church is supporting this theme. The worship service, the sermon series, the Bible fellowship lessons, what, what they're doing in a Bible fellowship class right now, what they did at 930 is, is to supplement, it is to complement what we're doing in here. So here's my challenge for you today. Will you make a commitment for the next four Sundays? Now, I'm not saying everybody gets the fifth Sunday off. But for the next four Sundays, would you come to worship and Bible fellowship? A lot of you are in the habit of going to Bible fellowship. Some of you are not. Would you make a commitment right now in your heart and mind before God with your family? We are going to be in a Bible fellowship class the next four Sundays. Folks, this is not an attendance campaign. This is not an idea, way to grow Bible fellowship, folks, what we're doing is we're making ourselves available to God. Now, if you do that over the next four Sundays, you know what I just asked for? Twelve hours. You've got 720 hours to live. I asked for 12 of them. You said, well, how did you get 12? Three times four. Three hours on Sunday morning, an hour in Bible fellowship, an hour in worship. You got some traffic and some driving to and from and in between. Three hours, 12 hours. Now, what that 12 hours does, that 12 hours supports, motivates, guides, directs, challenges, and encourages how you're going to live the other 708. Because, folks, they count. You've got 720 hours. Will you give 12 over the next four Sundays to being in here? Make yourself available to God to all that you want Him to do in your life, to all that He wants to do in your life. As a matter of fact, we have another thing you can take advantage of. If you go out to our media desk at the conclusion of the service, we have a little companion book 
uh, a devotional book that goes along with this 30 days. There's 20 devotionals in there, five a week. You get two days off. Five week, five devotionals that will kind of guide you on the theme of that week. Again, support and encourage what you're trying to do. If you had 30 days to live, folks, it's got to count. We want to make ourselves available to God. We want to take advantage of everything we have to make this 30 days count. Folks, the clock is ticking. 720 hours. Can you imagine that? It's clicking down. How would you live? There it is right there. 29 days, 21 hours, 56 minutes. You say 21 shouldn't be higher than that. Well, we started at the last service. You're already down a couple of hours. You know, we laugh, but man, if that's my life, it's clicking, it's ticking, it's right there. It's counting down. How would you live? What are you going to do? Now, as we get prepared for this, what we want to do is kind of go back and have a little fun here. I want to take you back to the song that kind of inspired this theme and everything that we're doing. If you're a, a country music fan, then you know the song, Live Like You Were Dying. And uh, you know what? There's some silliness in this song. There's something in here about a bull named Fu Manchu. I've never met a bull named Fu Manchu. Don't want to. You know what? And you know what? There might be even a few people who'd be offended that we would do something that's not a worship song in the, in the middle of a Sunday morning service. But you know what I've learned, folks? All truth, doesn't matter where it comes from, all truth is God's truth. And this song communicates absolutely a biblical truth and a biblical inspiration. I want you to hear it. Have fun with it. We'll come back and talk in a moment. Rick and Angela. Hey, we get Rick and Angela a pair of boots. They might have a, you know, a show there. That was good. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> okay, now, on this whole booth bull thing. Okay, this past week, I did the Rocky Mountain climbing. So I've got that covered. As a matter of fact, uh, Amy and uh, Colin and Randy and I, Mary Beth, opted out. Uh, we, we did a, a semi-technical climb. It was about 20 degrees, and, and we started at about 8,500 feet, and we climbed a rock face up to 9,500 feet. Uh, we had to stop about every 50 yards just to try to breathe. So I've done the Rocky Mountain climb, and I've covered that. So then it's y'all's responsibility out there to get the skydiving and the bull riding taken care of. Okay, I've done my part. Now you do your part. You know, there is a phrase in that song that uh, I, I did not catch. I promise you, I'd never caught it until they just sang it at the 930 service. And it says in there, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. What an odd line. I mean, I mean. Would you be encouraged if I came up to you and said, man, I really hope that maybe by the middle of February you're dead. I'm really hoping you're dying before we see Easter. You know, I'm guessing you wouldn't take that as a nice thing. Might even be a little bit offended. But isn't that what it's saying? I hope you get the chance to find out you're dying and see what it does to your life. And that became a number one hit. A song that wished we would find that. Of course, the amazing thing is that we wish this. Folks, let me just remove the mystery. You're dying. The, the death rate in our congregation is 100%. I got to get out of this church. I got news for you. It's 100% in all the other churches. And you know all those people that didn't go to church? Their death rate's 101%. Figure that out. Ecclesiastes 8.8. It says you have no authority over the day of your death. You have no control over that. 
with all we do to preserve life and protect life and medicine and surgeries. And, and we think about somebody that was right at the brink of death and, and they got better, they got healed, they, they, the surgery worked, the medicine, and they got new life. Folks, let me tell you something. The day you were born, the number of days you're going to live on this earth was set. And you're not going to live a day longer. And you're not going to live a day shorter. You have a set number of days. That's what God says. I don't know what that number is. I don't know what it's for you. I don't know what it is for me. I do know this. I got one day less than I had yesterday. And you know what else the Bible says? It says when I get to that thing we call death or the grave, that's not the end, folks. We don't cease to exist. You and I are going to live forever. What this life determines, what this life defines, is what that eternity looks like. So how would you live, not in an experiment, how would you live knowing that you're dying? Now, what we're trying to do is bring it up a little bit closer. And we're actually going to put a time limit on it and say, man, I'm going to live like I've got 30 days. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to go to the scripture and I want to kind of get a mindset. Now, you heard in the song what our themes are going to be. It's talking about speaking sweeter and loving deeper and giving forgiveness. These are going to be our themes over the next couple of weeks. What I want to talk about today is a mindset by which we enter and approach these next 30 days. I want to use Romans chapter 13. Would you turn there now? Romans chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the pews under or the pews in the chairs uh, underneath you there. If it's not right in front of you, it'll be. Probably not too far away, one way to the right or left. Uh, you point to it. I know somebody will hand it to you. Romans chapter 13. Get past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get past Acts. You'll run into Romans. Romans chapter 13. I want to begin in verse 11. Romans 13, verse 11. It says, besides this, knowing the time. Now, now folks, if you do have your own Bible... You know what you might want to do right there where it says knowing the time? You might want to write right above that. Do I? Do I know the time? Besides this, knowing the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. I think in this passage, there's three things that, that we need to head into these 30 days. As our time is clicking off, there's three things we need to be aware of. As I live like I was dying, I need to have a sense for the urgent. There needs to be a sense of urgency in my life. Now, I'm not pointing to a particular verse that I just read, but just the words. I mean, did you hear the words? Do you know the time, the hour, wake up, now, drawing near? Folks, Paul says in your life and in my life, man, we need to have a sense of urgency. Our time is right now. Did you know that during the time that I preached this sermon, in 30 minutes, 6,000 people 
on this planet will die. Now, now my sermon didn't do that, okay? Every hour, every single hour, 12,000 people die. I, I wonder how many of those 12,000 get to that moment. Go, wait, 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 I wasn't ready. I, I didn't get a chance. I need. Folks, why are we surprised? Why are we caught off guard when we come to this moment? This it is the great reality that your life is moving towards. We need to live with a sense of. Of urgency, you know, maybe the maybe the worst word we could have over the next 30 days, the worst word in the English language is someday. Someday, some man, someday I'm really I'm going to get serious about this whole God thing. Boy, someday I'm going to I'm going to talk to that person about what Jesus Christ means to me. Someday I'm going to make things right with my mom. Someday, I'm going to have that conversation with my mate, with my child. Someday, I'll... You fill in the blank. What have you been saying that someday you will do? Now, let me tell you what living urgent is not. Living with a sense of urgency doesn't mean we're living faster and busier. Living with a sense of urgency doesn't mean we're frantic. Oh my gosh, I'm dying, i got to get this done! That's, that's not what urgency means. We're not frantic. Our hair is not on fire. A sense of urgency means this. If there really is something you should do someday, you're going to do it today. That's what living with a sense of urgency is. There is no more someday in our lives. Can we make that commitment? In this room, right here, right now, that over the next 30 days, there is nothing that we're going to do someday. We're doing everything today. We're taking care of it. We're getting it done. Or at least we're starting the process of taking care of that today. We live with a sense of urgency. I think the second thing Paul says to us here in this passage is that we're to live with a sense of eternity. You know, just as it is wrong to take for granted today, it's also wrong to take for granted eternity. You know, some of us get so consumed with trying to make this life happen, we give no thought at all to the afterlife. We, we give no thought at all to eternal life. Well, look at this phrase here. Uh, where is it? Uh, verse 12. Excuse me, verse 11. Look at that phrase. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. What does he mean by that? You know, a lot of times when you and I think of our possession, possessive there, our salvation, we think of a past event. But the Bible speaks of salvation in both a past, present, and future event. Now, we're used to the past, and it even refers to it here, when we first believed. When we think of our salvation, we think of that past event, that day. For me, it was May 12, 1982. I stopped thinking that being religious made me right before God. That going to church a lot made me right before God. That was the day I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What He accomplished for me on the cross. That was the day I was adopted as a child of God. That was the day I was forgiven of all of my sins. That's a past event. Those things have happened. It is done. When I first believed. But the Bible also speaks about salvation in a present tense. 
I am presently being rescued, being saved out of sin, being saved out of trial and temptation, being saved out of this world. And the Bible also speaks of a future salvation. There is that day that I will ultimately be rescued and resurrected up out of physical death. Resurrected from this body, given an eternal and glorified body. So when he says the day of our salvation, Paul's encompassing this whole process, the past, present and future of our salvation. So what's he saying here? That day is drawing near that day when this entire process is complete. Paul's saying, man, do you realize? Wake up. You are running headlong into eternity. He's talking to believers here. He's telling you and me, wake up. Man, you're wasting today. You're not living in light of eternity at all. You are moving toward eternity. How many of us? It's January 4th. Isn't this the time of year we're thinking about what has just happened? What's going to happen? What we would like to happen? We're maybe thinking about some resolutions or decisions. I wonder in this room, believers, just like Paul's talking to. I wonder how many of us have made a decision in the last four days in light of eternity. How many of us have made a decision in light of that day, that moment when I go and stand before God? Remember, that's our challenge to live with the end in mind. And we're four days into a new year. We've got dreams and desires for this year. What are we thinking about and praying about in light of eternity? Now, Paul's talking to believers here. I believe I'm talking to a majority of believers, but I want to take just a second and speak to maybe what I believe would be a smaller minority. And that's you if you're in here today and you are not born again. If you have not been born again, you're not prepared for eternity. You're not prepared to stand before God. And did you know that you can be here the next four Sundays and worship and Bible fellowship and you can live a better life than me and everybody else in this room. But if you're not born again, you are grossly ill prepared for eternity. The single most significant step you can take toward being prepared for eternity is to be born again, because until you're born again, you're spiritually dead. That's why nothing you do counts. That's why nothing you do matters. A spiritually dead person can't produce anything of spiritual value. That's why Jesus says to us in John 3, if you want to go to heaven, you must be born again. You must be resurrected spiritually. Then what we do over the next 30 days can count. Folks, at the conclusion of our service, we're going to have a time of, of invitation. We do this at every service. There'll be a time and there'll be pastors down here. Our congregation will be standing and singing and we're going to invite you to be born again. I want to encourage you to take a step out of your chairs and and come down. I didn't plan on coming down front. You know, what, folks, Jesus didn't call anybody privately. Everybody he called, he called publicly. You take a step of faith, take that step publicly. Come down here and tell one of these pastors, I want to be born again. I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll pray with you and talk with you for a moment about that. Maybe you're sitting here right now and say, well, I, I, I don't know if I've been born again. I've been going to a church for a long time. I was baptized when I was, I don't know if I've been born again. You know what? If you're not sure, I absolutely give you all the permission in the world to stop listening to my sermon. <laughs> As if you needed my permission. But you, for the remaining of the time that I'm speaking, you don't have to listen to a single word I say. What I would like you to do right now 
is you begin asking the Father, God, have I been born again? And you just let him speak to you. And you let him direct you into what you should do. You know what? Even as that unfolds, somebody in here is going to say someday. Yeah, I need to do that. Yeah, I need to do that someday. Folks, that someday, I promise you, is right from the lips of Satan. I can't think of a single passage in Scripture where God is instructing somebody and tells them to do it someday. If you're not born again, your time, your opportunity, the day of salvation is right now. It's today. So when that invitation is issued, you come. So Paul calls us to live with a sense of urgency, to live with a sense of eternity. And I'd like to say on this last part, to live with a sense of priority. What does priority mean? It means there's some things that are important. That there's an order, there's a list of things I should do, there's things I should not do, there's things I need to push away, there's things that need to be forgotten. And you see here, he uses this illustration, he says, let us walk with decency as in daylight, and he talks about taking off and putting on. I, I like that, taking off and putting on clothes. You know why? Because it implies action. It implies doing something. If I don't like what I'm wearing, what do I got to do? I got to take it off and put something else on. But isn't it amazing that as we sit here at the intersection of an old year and a new year, that there are things in our life that we don't like, there are things in our lives that we desperately want changed, there are things new that we wanted to come into our life, and yet we're not going to do a single thing differently. We're not going to change any attitudes, we're not going to change any actions, we're not going to change any habits, we're not going to do anything. Folks, if you want different results, there's got to be some different actions. So Paul says, man, there needs to be a time here of taking some stuff, taking some garbage off and putting on the things that are going to help me live this next 30 days in a way that counts. And you see what he says here in, in, in verse 14. He says, or in verse 13, he says, take off. And he starts to list some things. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. It's just to kind of get us thinking. And he says, take off drunkenness and carousing. Man, that's just wasted. Anytime my life is under the influence of something else, anytime I'm not in control, I promise you that's a moment that goes straight in the garbage can. Now, folks, let's just think this practically out here. When I'm standing before God, I don't want a whole lot of moments in the garbage can. Do you? I don't want to stand here. Well, Lord, here's all the stuff you gave me that I just threw away. Here's the time and the moments you gave me, and I just trashed it. Man, I'm not going to give that. That drinking, that carousing, I think you can just sum up that whole phrase by wasted time. I'm not going to waste time. i got 30 days to live. I want it to count. I want it to mean something. I'm going to take off that kind of stuff. I'm going to take off sexual promiscuity, sexual immorality. I'm going to take off fighting and jealousy. Oh my gosh, folks, I've been to the hospital so many times when somebody has had an X amount of time to live. And in 20 years of ministry, I've never heard a single person on death's door say, Pastor, would you help me? I want to kill that person. Boy, would you just pray that I can get enough energy up so that I can get out of bed and go over there and tell that person what I think about him. Nobody thinks that way. Not even the unbeliever. It is such a waste of the precious life you have left. And yet, how much of our life? Because we don't live like we're dying. 
Are we nit, 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 nitpicking and gossiping and we're mad and we're angry and they did this and they hurt me and we're bitter and it's consuming us? Man, every moment you spend in bitterness and anger is another moment you're putting in the garbage can. I don't want to carry garbage cans up to my day of meeting with the Lord. I'm not saying the hurt's not real. I'm not saying those people will change. But I got 30 days to live. And putting it in fighting and in anger and in jealousy and gossip is such a waste. So I'm going to take off that garbage. And you need to get it out of the house. You see what he says in verse 14? Make no plans to satisfy the flesh. I'm not going to leave those clothes. Old clothes are comfortable, aren't they? Let's be honest. Some of you ask your mate. They've been trying to get rid of clothes that you wear for years. Paul says, man, don't don't shed these clothes, leave them there in a pile and then come over here and try to put on the right. Well, that stuff over there is a lot more comfortable. Uh, That stuff over there doesn't cost anything. And I'm all of a sudden I'm putting it right back on. I'm going to take that stuff off. I'm going to get rid of it and I'm going to put on Jesus. Well, that's a big thought, isn't it? Putting on Jesus. What does that look like? Well, for this morning, we're running out of time. Let's make it simple. What do you think of when you think of Jesus? What's a word that comes to your mind? Some of you might say, well, Jesus. I, you know, I think of love. Jesus is, Jesus is loving. Okay? Put on love. Put on love. As you go and have contact with your mate, your best friend, a, a, a co-worker, a casual acquaintance, a stranger, your enemy. No matter what person you come in contact with, you're wearing love. What does that mean? To have warm, ooey-gooey feelings about every person? No. I doubt Jesus had warm, ooey-gooey feelings when he was being crucified. Love means I do what is best for that person, regardless of the cost or the discomfort to me. That's love. Doing what is best for another. You put on love. Well, let me see. When I think of Jesus, I think of, uh, well, he's holy, isn't he? God's holy. Okay, put on holiness. What does that mean? Well, the word holy means to be set apart, to be distinct. It's not like everything else in the world. So if I'm a young person, we know Scott's not a young person. He's already told us that this morning. But if I'm a young person, I'm one of these youth. I'm going to school tomorrow. I'm putting on, I'm wearing holiness. These are all middle schoolers. So I'm wearing holiness to middle school tomorrow. Okay, so I'm not going to act, think, or be like all the other students because that's what all the other students do. I'm not going to be or think like everything that is taught to me. I'm not going to put on the world. I'm distinct. I'm set apart. I'm separate from the world. Instead of being like the school, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to be God-like because He's holy. He is set apart. If I'm going to work tomorrow, and I am, I'm going to put on holiness. I'm not going to think like the average worker my 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 work ethic is going to be different what i laugh at is going to be different what is important to me is going to be different i'm going to be set apart from the workforce and i'm going to be more like god than i am the average conversation going on at work tomorrow i'm going to put on holiness somebody say my jesus you know i think of jesus he was he was pure he was good okay we're purity put on purity when you put on the internet put on purity when you put on the tv Put on purity when you go out on that date. Folks, just think about the word. Hey, you wake up tomorrow morning and say, hey, Jesus, what word do you want me to think about you today? You think about that word, that's what you wear out today. Got 30 days to live. Man, let's be wearing the right clothes when we go and stand before God. 
Let me challenge you with one other thing to take off and to put on. Take off busyness. Boy, we're all busy, aren't we? We're busy, busy people. That's what it means to be an American. We're busy. Got a lot to do. More than we can handle. You know what that means? It means we're living like rats. Isn't that what we call it? The rat race? We're just running along, running along. Boy, we're busy. We're going. We're doing. We're doing. No, we're not producing anything of value. But boy, are we busy. Folks, busyness is not going to accomplish what you need to accomplish in the next 30 days. Now, I can't tell you what you need to take off practically tomorrow to take off that busyness. I will tell you this. There are people who do get the opportunity to live like they were dying. There are people who will go to the hospital and they'll get the report tomorrow, this week, and you'll see that individual in bed and you'll see their family all around them and they realize that individual has X number of days, X number of weeks left. And do you know what? You don't have to instruct them. Now, you know, as pastor, I want to help you all here. There's some things you should do and not do. Folks, when death is staring at you, it becomes real clear. And all of a sudden, all those things that were just life-altering important no, they're not so important anymore. All of a sudden, those things get pushed to the side. You see the clarity that death brings? You don't ever have to tell a family at the hospital what's important and what's not important. Take off the busyness. And by taking off the busyness, you know what we get to put on? The thing we constantly ignore because we're so busy. Relationships. You know, when I look at the life of Christ in the New Testament, he is spending huge blocks of time with his father. A lot of us don't spend any time with the father because we're so busy and we're so tired because we're so busy. The other thing I see Jesus doing is spending huge blocks of time with people. People are what's going to last forever. Put your life in what's going to last forever. Jesus is spending time with an individual, with a with a group, with a massive group. Spend your time with people. You know what? You will walk around all kinds of people this week who are empty, who are lonely, who are dying inside, who want to be heard, who want to know somebody cares, who want to know that somebody loves them. And you know the really sad thing? You're living with some of them. And you're so busy you don't even know it. You know, if all your conversations are about who's going here, who's picking up, did you pay, did you mail, your relationships will all be insignificant when you go and stand before God. Take off the busyness. Put on the relationships. Folks, I want to tell you something. I believe with all my heart that if we, if, it's a big word, isn't it? If we did this, I believe that everybody in our community for a 30 to 45 minute radius of this church, I believe everybody within the next 30 days would know what's happening here. That's how profound. I mean, we're a large congregation. If there's a thousand of us that go out into our community living like we were dying, everybody in our community would know what's going on here in 30 days. Now, they might think we're nuts. Boy, they're drinking the Kool-Aid up there. Boy, death, that's so morbid. You know what, folks? Death is not morbid. To live like we're dying is not morbid. It is so clarifying. There is so much joy, so much peace, so much direction in knowing that's the spot, that's where I'm going, now I know what needs to be taken care of before I get to that spot right there. 
Man, living like you were dying is, is not morbid. Living like you were dying is simply more about today and less about tomorrow. Living like you were dying is more about people and less about possessions. Living like you were dying is more about God's priorities and less about my plans. Living like you were dying is more about eternity and less about the temporary. The clock is ticking. Now I want to tell you something. Don't tell the 930 service. I didn't tell them. Most of us will be alive in 31 days. Won't we? Most of us will. You are still dying. Just because you don't know the number doesn't mean it's not real. You will die. You will stand before God. Let's live with the end in mind. Let's pray. Father, it will take real wisdom and real discipline to do this. I, I would dare say more wisdom and discipline than we have. So Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us and would you guide us along a path of wisdom? Lord, it will be very easy for us to leave here today and, and just all of a sudden we're going to get busy with Sunday's events and, and tomorrow it's work and school and everything's starting back up. And God, we will arrive here next week and we'll not have thought a thing about it. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move across this congregation, move in and through each and every person here. And I pray all day long tomorrow, they're thinking, now wait a minute, what would I do here if I was actually going to be dead in 30 days? And going to be standing before God. Would you give us the wisdom. The discipline. The courage. To take this on. And God as we do. We make our lives. Our bodies available to you. You do what you want. You lead us in the course. In the direction that you want. God we want to know. That if our 30 days were up. That when we go to stand before you. It's going to be an awesome time. A celebrating time. Because with the power of the Holy Spirit and the instruction of your word, we did what we were supposed to do. We did what counted. We did what lasted forever. God, would you guide us in that way? May we think about it all day today, all day tomorrow, every day this week. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Folks, as you go, and I know we've already been here a long time, I just want to tell you real quickly, you know, as we've been preparing for this month, uh, I've challenged myself, our staff, to think about what do we want out of this? What do we want to happen in our church? What do we want to happen in our, in our own lives? And I want to tell you real quickly what I've been praying through and thinking about. Number one, I want us to take it for serious. Most of us won't. I don't mean to be pessimistic or down on myself or down on you. It's just such a habit to come to church, be blessed. Ah, oh, that's wonderful. Boy, that's good. Ah, oh, it's challenged. And, and like I said earlier, then all of a sudden we're caught up in the events of the rest of the afternoon and Monday and Sunday is a, a million miles behind. I am praying, God, could, could all of us take it for serious? I am, I am praying, secondly, that throughout tomorrow, 
that we really will, with every decision, with every action, with every relationship, we stop and think, now wait a minute, what would I do in light of the fact that I am related to God and I'm going to stand before Him? What would I do? How would that change things? That that really is going to invade our mind and we're going to start to think that way all the way through this. I, I pray that as we take it serious and as we think about our relationship with God and eternity, I pray it's going to result in, in a church family where we genuinely love and serve each other. Now, I think we are a family, I think we're an incredible church that loves and serves one another. We've got a long way to go, don't we? It's not quite like heaven yet. I'm praying it's going to produce a great loving and serving toward one another. I mean, come on, there's a few people in here right now you don't like, let's be honest. And I'm praying we're going to love and we're going to serve. You know, I am also praying for our youth. I am praying our youth will pick this up and take it serious. Now, you know, a lot of times when we talk about our youth, we say, oh, they're, they're the church of tomorrow. They're the next generation. That's not why I'm saying this. I don't know if they're the next generation of this church or not. Statistics are horrible about what youth will become and what they do with the church. I don't know that at all. I just know that a lot of times when God moves in a mighty way, it begins in the young people. And I pray they pick this up and run with it so strong and so powerful that it absolutely unnerves their parents. And it causes their parents to look at their own lives and how they're living with and for God. And then in my own personal life, I just really thought God has challenged me. Randy, you're wasting too much life you are throwing too many minutes into the garbage can. And I'm just praying as I walk through these next 30 days, God just really shows me where I'm throwing those minutes away, how to pick them back up and use them in a way that shows that I really do believe each day is a gift from Him. And if today is the day I stand before Him, I want today to be the proudest that I can present to Him. That's what I'm praying about. I hope you'll think about, God, what do you want to do in my life in these next 30 days. Hope you'll be back in Bible fellowship and in worship. If I haven't been in a Bible fellowship class, don't know where to go. You just go to our information desk when you get here next week at 9.30. If you want to go to the 11 o'clock worship, go to that desk at 9.30. Say, I'm looking for a Bible fellowship class. They'll direct you right where to go. Will you give God 12 hours over the next four Sundays to help you live the other 708 as powerfully as you can?